The Voices of Search podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything podcast network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Bridge Toll, California, customer service number. Highway miles to the gallon, Ford Focus. Thailand Cave Rescue Operation. What is Schema F? Best wine bars in San Carlos, California. Best Western hotels. How old is Ronaldo? What happened with Big Brother? What's a good engagement? How long before a wedding should I send out many save the dates? The first Use IMAP to check email on other email clients. Identify fonts from where to find the Welcome to the first episode of the Voices of Search podcast by Searchmetrics. I'm your host, Benjamin Shapiro, and in this podcast, we're going to discuss the hottest topics in the ever-changing world of search engine optimization. To launch this podcast with a bang, today, we're going to be joined by a heavy hitter in the search space. Jordan Cooney is both the general manager of Searchmetrics US and a world-renowned SEO strategist. Prior to joining the Searchmetrics team, Jordan was the head of SEO at a little website called eBay. And today, we're going to chat about why Searchmetrics is starting a podcast about search, what are some of the trends that Jordan sees in SEO today, and some of his keys to leveraging search data to find marketing insights that reach beyond the SEO landscape. And this podcast is also sponsored by Ahrefs. What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings at no costs? Sounds too good to be true? Well, it's not. Because my friends at Ahrefs just launched Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. Ahrefs' new Webmaster Tools product quickly helps you improve your site's visibility by pointing solutions to over 100 technical issues that might be holding your search performance down. Plus, AWT monitors for backlinks so you'll know the most linked to pages and how those links are affecting your rankings. And AWT shares what keywords your website ranks for and compares how you stack up against competitors for key metrics like search volume, keyword difficulty, and traffic value. Look, monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools. And now, thanks to Ahrefs, that's not the case anymore because AWT will help you monitor your SEO health, backlinks, and keywords for free. And no, it's not one of those 14-day free trial offers. It's a powerful site audit tool that will keep working for you for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. That said, Jordan, welcome to the first episode of The Voices of Search. Thanks, Ben. Uh, looking forward to sharing these insights and uh, having a lot of fun talking about something that I, I know very well, but uh, oftentimes don't get to get into the weeds of it. So this yeah. should be should be that uh, that joyful place. Great. So, Jordan, we've, we've worked together for a long time. Uh, I mentioned eBay in our intro, and that's when we started working. And I was very new in search, and you helped me learn everything that I've learned about search somewhere along the way. But for the people who are joining this podcast that either know search metrics or don't know you or are just learning about search metrics as whole, why don't we start off by you giving us a little overview of you and your background? Sure. Um, so the, the, I guess the interesting part of the story is, is how I got, got started or, or recognized in the industry. So um, in early 2000, I built a Spanish bookstore and uh, this Spanish bookstore called My Libros 
um, was it was a uh, a pretty remarkable website in the sense that it outranked the the eight hundred pound gorilla Amazon. And uh, we outranked them for everything, everything from category na- keywords to product keywords to uh, book titles. And the reality is, is that um, that created a tremendous amount of recognition uh, for for not only myself, but for the website, right? We were not only generating the majority of our traffic from search and generating sales from that, but people were starting to recognize, like, how is this guy in an apartment in St. Louis, Missouri, outranking Amazon, the behemoth of books in Seattle. And this is back when Amazon was primarily focused as a book retailer, not the Goliath that it is right now. Correct. That's before two-day prime. That's before free shipping on book orders of $25. Probably before uh, fulfillment by Amazon, FBA. Oh, yeah. Way before all that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Amazon at that point had already had its sights on bigger things, but they were a bookstore, Mm -hmm. and that's what they were focused on. So you're outranking the biggest bookstore, the biggest online bookstore in the world out of an apartment in St. Louis selling Spanish books. Correct. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You want to tell us how that happened? Sure. Um, uh, Part of it is is luck, um, but a lot of it is really um, just learning about what what fundamentally works in search. Uh, search is like most any other skills that you can, you can learn the, the, the tactics and strategies and over time you can refine them and you can improve them. And most importantly, in my opinion, you can use data to justify those things, which brings us to the current state of why I'm at search metrics. But going back to, to my Libros again, what, what ultimately really was the, the big win for, for my Libros was some advice from my father. So my father is a uh, a teacher. He's uh, been a teacher for well over thirty years now, and he is he he advised me to um, to basically do outreach to all of the um, all of the, the the school districts. So I started doing outreach to all the major school districts in um, in the U.S. And you can go through a process of becoming an approved vendor from these school districts. So I went through that quite time-consuming process of becoming a vendor. And when you become a vendor, you often would receive a long list of contacts at, uh, at the school district. And one of those contacts, um, although there were Spanish teachers and a variety of other people I could contact that would probably buy my books, I figured, why not just contact the webmaster and, have them build a, or, and give them a page about my business? And many of these webmasters put that page on their websites. Now, back then, if you had a link coming from a .edu site... That's a lot of authority, yeah. Yeah, and that was a big deal. Um, uh, Those days have changed quite a bit, but back then, that basically, you know, was like getting on a rocket ship and just moving straight to the first spot in Google, and it worked like a charm. Um, And I had no idea that that's what the impact would have. It was just dumb luck. But um, from there... I learned a lot about search and, and what is it about, like how, how, to, how to produce content and, and how to create a, a, a navigational structure that makes sense. And, and, and it started becoming a thing that I would refine and improve over the eight years that I owned that business. Yeah, we talked a lot about this when we worked together at eBay. We were on the SEO team. And I remember I left eBay to start a startup that was a content-based business. It was a guitar lesson website. You told me that there's basically three things you have to pay attention, the rules of thumb for search which are how's your site organized? What's the structure of the site? You know how, how responsive is it? How fast is it? 
what content you have and how it's organized and then who is you know talking about your content to give you some authority so it sounds like you stumbled into the authority and the, the link building strategy early on in your career. Correct. And so then you wound up at eBay somehow? Yeah, so I wound up at eBay um, uh, throughout uh, throughout my career. I, I uh, started working at a variety of different um, startups. Um, and, um, you know, at first it was working with, with e-commerce and small businesses doing SEO. Uh, and then I had the opportunity to go to, to a larger brand that ended up acquiring Answers.com. And uh, working on pretty large sites um, during that time, and that 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 experience obviously was very attractive to to eBay, um, since there really at that time weren't a lot of people who were doing SEO at scale or what they now call coined enterprise SEO. Um, and so then I went to eBay and spent five years at eBay uh, managing both the content development and the SEO um, efforts. So the big part of my time there was. Uh, looking at the content strategy along with uh, the work with uh, the technical teams to improve the structure and the, uh, the, the, the links of the site. Right. And you came into eBay, you were hired by, and I'm, I'm probably going to butcher this name, but uh, a well-known SEO, Dennis Hudahabir. Did I get that right? Yeah. I think I, I'm close. More, but More commonly known, Dennis G. Dennis G. And, and, and Dennis, if you're listening, uh, we, we just want to give you a shout out. So it's, it's, you know, thanks for putting us in the same room and getting Jordan to eBay. So you were at eBay, and eventually you worked on e-commerce and, and sort of specialized there. Yeah. So a good portion of my career was e-commerce. Um, and so there's, there's obviously a very um, <clears throat> special you know, um, set of criteria that makes e-commerce SEO unique. Um, most of it has to deal with you know, a certain logic around inventory or the navigational structure um, um, what they typically call is refinements. So how do you refine your, your your categories and your inventory? And a lot of different page structures, your product pages, your product listing pages, your search pages. Right, reviews. And how do all these things play with one another Where nicely? Where do you get content for all of the different products you have? Precisely. Yeah. It's it's fun. It's it's it, For me, e-commerce has a, a special place, not only because of the, the variety of um, strategies and and um, priorities that you have with one of these sites, but also because it's very transactional. So you can see the results of your work really quickly, and 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 I think that that response rate is is such a, a validation of what you're trying to do in search. Um, and, and, it, and it can ha- and I've learned now at Search Metrics that this happens in other categories as well, but from obviously a very different lens, not the necessarily the transactional lens, but maybe more from an awareness or a brand building or a um, you know traffic um, perspective. Right. So you worked your way from eBay, focusing on e-commerce, you know, for a phase of your career, and you mentioned a lot about you know sort of using data to validate all of the. Uh, search hypotheses, and and now you're at Search Metrics. Tell us a little bit about why you made the transition to come to the the service and and data provider side as opposed to staying on the the client side. Yeah. So one of the major reasons that that I made the transition was that I recognized that the opportunity that exists in 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 my space in the SEO space that there is a better way. For us to go about solving these problems, uh, fundamentally, I think that most of the folks who've been in the SEO space for quite some time recognize that uh, SEO has been predominantly um, a black box, and because of that black box nature, there's been a lot of speculation in terms of 
who's good or who's not good at solving for this black box. Uh, my belief and the belief of a lot of people at um, uh, in the space and, and, and everybody at search metrics is that that black box goes away when you have data-driven decisions, when you can make a choice as to why you want to do something in SEO based on a given set of data criteria. And we believe that that's really where where the industry uh, needs to go, what, what is going to help drive and propel the awareness of SEO at all levels from the executive down to your you know, entry-level associate. Well, we really believe that that is, um, that is the most critical component to making these decisions is understanding the data, prioritizing the data, and using the right data at the right time to make SEO successful. So you actually brought up an interesting part of, you know, using data from the lowest level, the entry level SEO, all the way up to, you know, the marketing executive. I want to take a second and and talk about some of the people that we think are potentially going to be listening to this podcast and why we're putting it together. So, you know, in my head, there's really, you know, three let's call them segments of people that are going to be listening to this podcast, right? The first is the SEO veterans, right? People that know you and know search metrics and they're interested in hearing search metrics' voice because it has some authority in the search space. Um, I think the second class is people that are interested in learning about search, either because they're interested in joining the field or just because they are interested in learning how uh, that sort of data gets used and search is an important part of life. And then on the, the sort of high end, there's the marketing executives that are trying to understand more about what might be a crucial part of their marketing mix that feels like a black box. So talk to me a little bit about you know what your rationales for wanting to put a podcast together and, and what do you think people can expect to get from this show? You know, everyone, when they start something new, gets super optimistic, right? <laughs> they have these... Uh, I am. Yeah, grand dreams of, uh, of uh, striking it rich, um, especially us out here in California. I guess uh, that's uh, metaphorically how we... <laughs> we we've Gold mining country. Gold mining. The Wild West. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and fundamentally, I think that there's a, there's a couple of things. First of all, um, I really believe that we can find new outlets to help all of those all of those all of those various audiences that you mentioned Ben I believe that we can find better outlets to help them learn and understand SEO that we can talk about the strategy talk about the data in a way that provokes the right questions in those meetings that pushes the right engineers to make the changes, that, that helps the editorial and content teams understand how it works. And today, I feel like we've, we've built a community and we've built a, a, a mindset that is, in many ways, authoritative and very well respected in many companies and organizations. But it's often undermined by the approach that we use, by the lack of business empathy that we have in the, 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 the way we, we, we structure our ideas and our strategies to help grow search. And I believe that we can, we can change that by using tools like a podcast. And a podcast is something that is unique in the sense that you can go back and re-listen to it over and over and over again. Uh, you can create your own visual map of what it means to your business. 
Um, I think that video is also a great tool, but once you look at something in video, you almost want to repeat what's been, what's been created. In a podcast, you can use your own imagination, your own um, criteria to determine how you'd go about solving that problem. And then <clears throat> lastly, we feel that this is something that can, can be um, uh, uh, widespread. We, we, can, we, can, we can push this out to the community, make people aware of it, and they can contribute back to it. They can, they, they can give us you know, feedback and insight, um, probably more so to Ben than to me, I hope. Um, just teasing, <laughs> but uh, in the sense of like what we should be talking about and how we can keep helping uh, not only the community, but all the, the stakeholders that are involved in SEO. As the non-technical SEO in the room, I think the, the goal for me is to take some of the insights and some of the expertise that Searchmetrics has built in-house. There is a team of really smart people and, and Searchmetrics you know, speaks data science fluently I think the goal for me of this project is to turn that into English so the average person on the street can understand how some of these things impact their lives. And, you know, I think that we've had a relationship where you've been able to sort of teach me a little bit about SEO. And if nothing else, I'm good at just speaking plain English that people understand. So, you know, that's my hope for this podcast. So now that we've talked enough about the rationale for creating this podcast, Catch us up with what's going on in the SEO industry. So what are the big things that are on your mind for this year in the SEO industry? There's a few really big themes that are, that are coming to light. Uh, you know, in the past six months, what we've seen uh, from Google is uh, a higher degree of emphasis on mobile. I mean, this is something they've been talking about for years. And they're finally like really, you know, um, pushing the envelope around mobile. And we're seeing more and more brands um, uh, reach this tipping point where mobile is becoming the lion's share of their organic search traffic. Uh, so that's what that's one of the trends that we've seen in the past and where things are going. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our sponsor, Previsible. So you're looking for SEO help, and you got a couple of options. You could start replying to spam from agencies that claim they can get you to rank number one on Google. You can pay an hourly rate for a consultant who will inevitably nickel and dime you with hourly charges. Or you can work with a cookie-cutter agency to quickly launch a strategy-less project with low success rate. None of those sound very good, now do they? Well, that's where Previsible's integrated consulting model comes in. Previsible draws from a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to unlock your organic growth opportunities. They build custom solutions that combine strategy, technical expertise, content, and reporting to effectively operationalize SEO for your business. Previsible's four-stage approach ensures that your SEO programs thrive by starting off with a strategy-first approach. Then they support you in your efforts to create quality content, help you identify technical issues, and most importantly, they'll work with your cross-functional teams to integrate your SEO strategies to make sure that your SEO budget actually drives results, not just your agency's bottom line. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, Square, all who rely on the SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's previsible, P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. So in Mary Meeker's internet report, she said that the global smartphone penetration is starting to decline for the first time or I guess the growth is starting to slow. So people are basically have mobile phones that are going to have them on some level. 
Does that have any impact on how you see the trend with SEO growing, where mobile phone growth is slowing? Is the SEO industry just catching up now that everyone has a phone? It's becoming a bigger priority for Google. Yeah, I'd say that search behavior is a lag to you know the consumption and utilization of mobile devices. So uh, if you just look at the technology in and of itself, and the same thing is going to happen with voice search. So that's what's coming in the future. So if we go to the, the future topic, right, and, and and just the whole IoT, so Internet of Things and how search works within within that. But going back to the mobile question that you asked. The reality is, is that search is just now reaching that 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 growth phase, that maturity phase, where there is a high degree of utility and practicality behind mobile searches, and it's becoming easier. I mean, all of us, especially folks in the U.S. or, or any other developed country, you realize how simple it is to use your search experience now in mobile. You can quickly get to the maps. You can quickly get to um, uh, ratings and, and review information when you're in a local place. You can get pricing information. Think of think of just the introduction of, of how now PLA, uh, which is product listing ads uh, within Google SERPs, how that is now so quickly changing the game when you do a mobile search because you instantly get price feedback when you're standing in Target. And so um, I know that those things that seem really small, but the reality is that all those things coming together have created an environment now where mobile is far more easier than it was five years ago to use. Um, and that is that is at the core of why we're seeing such growth in, in mobile, mobile search. So the interesting thing to me is not the importance of mobile. It's that it's a priority now and it hasn't already been a priority is there something that's happening now that's making it more of a priority or is it just Google is putting the clamps down and saying every website has to be responsive or they're not going to prioritize it? Well, Google's been preaching this story for probably now five or six years. So um, n- not it is not new news to webmasters and brands that this is the, the, the area of focus. Um, I think that the big difference that we've, we've noticed is that slowly but surely the sophistication at which different experiences are impacting mobile traffic are becoming a reality. What does that mean? So that means that when a brand is able to win in a particular mobile experience, so that could be an element on the mobile SERP, so that could be a position zero, a position zero um, uh, ranking, that that yields much greater results than it did in the past when it comes to mobile. And that's not necessarily because they're um, that, that's not necessarily because of all the efforts and changes that they've made to their website for mobile. Yeah, a lot of companies have done that, but it's because the growth of mobile demand, so people doing these searches, has reached that that peak, that maturity level. And so when you do win, you win really big now in mobile. You just you win like landslide win, and that's that's the that's how the game has changed from from even you know five years ago, but even more so ten years ago or fifteen years ago when I got started in this search space. Fifteen years ago, I mean, I wasn't even thinking about mobile. I wasn't even thinking about. I would have been I would have been really happy with ranking number four. Back in my day, mobile didn't even exist. <laughs> yeah. That's one way to look at it, I guess. <laughs> Said the dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, 
you mentioned search spot zero, and I think that's an interesting concept. And from what I understand, that's actually something that's changing a lot in the search landscape of not necessarily being the first organic result, but Google plucking your content and showing it on the search results page. Tell me a little bit about what's going on there. Uh, this is a great segue uh, on the the mobile topic because position zero or or being in the in the the it's now really the new first position in Google, right? So this is how do you become visible above the ranking results in an organic way? And, and all of you have experienced this in some way, shape, or form uh, in both mobile and desktop. Uh, the reality is position zero is becoming a much more aggressive need for brands who are investing in search, in particular in spaces where you can identify very structured data and information, organize it in a way that's superior to the rest of your competitors in that SERP, and then have Google uh, materialize that in a higher ranking. And the reason that Google's doing this and experimenting with this is that eventually uh, the real estate that we had in mobile search is already a huge reduction from what we had in desktop. And the real estate that we have available to us as as search engine marketers, when we get into voice search or Internet of Things experiences, is only one. You can only have presence in one one spot. You took the words out of my mouth in that the ability for Google to answer a question, not present somebody with search results, is becoming more and more important because a lot of that is being delivered in terms of audio. It's essentially their... Uh, feeling lucky button, you know, 10 years forward. It's, I just want the one answer and I want the right one. And if Google has a high degree of certainty, it seems like that's more of a priority now because the world is turning towards voice instead of the the display type of distribution of information. I, I, I agree. I, I will preface this. Now we're going way down the road. Mm-hmm. I actually think that that's going to change over time. I think position zero is going to be hyper important for the next three to five years. But what we're going to learn is that as these technologies evolve, our ability to identify selection will become present as well. I believe that as, as human beings, we expect diversity and selection in our, in our decision-making process. And Google won't be able to get away with this forever, but they have to start someplace. And so for a lot of the companies that are focusing on this right now, uh, and if they're able to do it well, and they're able to, to capitalize on these position zero um, spots, they're going to see great results today and great results for the foreseeable future because there's going to be a lot of traffic coming their way. So essentially what you're saying is down the road, you ask uh, Google Voice or Amazon Alexa or Apple HomePod, what's the average weight of an aardvark, right? It won't just be one question or one answer. You'll be able to select through multiple answers using your voice. Right. And I'd say the the, the question's important, right? Because more often than not, and we know this because um, Google, boy, this maybe is six years ago now, Google made a bunch of changes to the search algorithm um, to improve diversity of results. And they've done this in a variety of different ways over the years, but the, 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 the fundamental truth stands that the majority of the queries the searches that Google has are subjective, right? Like how much does an aardvark weigh 
it, you can kind of get to the average weight and you can give a very specific answer to that. So it's not particularly subjective, but something like, you know, a question or, or, or a, a search query like, you know, best dry cleaner, that's a very subjective thing. And so Google has to use various results to determine what is the best way to, to serve that to you. And that's going to happen more frequently where Google's going to say, they'll, they'll, they'll even give you a criteria, right? So they'll probably respond back by saying, would you like the best rated? Would you like the best one that's closest to your current proximity? Would you like the best dry cleaner that also does alterations? And then from those options, Google will narrow in and give you one result. But by that point, you might actually already be dealing with a website or a result that isn't in position zero anymore. You might be dealing with a result that's number 10. Yeah, essentially, it's a filtering mechanism to lengthen the string of your query, right? It's not just best dry cleaner, but best dry cleaner by location considering price. Okay, let's change the subject a little bit. We're, we're talking specifically about what's happening in the SEO industry and how search is, uh, you know, the landscape is changing, but search data is valuable outside of just what's happening sort of in the tactical ground war of content optimization. What are some of the interesting things that people are doing to use search data to make non-search decisions? So what are businesses uh, doing uh, to use search data in, in, in a non-search way is, is a topic that, that we encounter uh, quite a bit more today than we, we have in the past. Um, first of all, one of the great things and something that I'd love to spend a lot of time talking about in this podcast, especially in future episodes, is about the presence of search, organic search, uh, at the management and leadership level. And I think that is one of the core reasons why we're seeing um, your your an- your question coming up more often, which is as executives and leaders and, and data analysts and all these folks become more exposed to search, they start asking questions about how can we use that data elsewhere. And so the most common and the most uh, traditional one is in what we'd consider a cousin or sister industries, right? So paid search or using SEO data to, to power um, your uh, affiliate or other uh, form, uh, marketing channels, uh, typically. That's, that's the most common thing that you see. One of the, 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 the crazier places where we're starting to see search data become really critical and really important is around big investment decisions, so we're starting to see a lot of um, organizational uh, institutions who make investments start to analyze search data to help them predict uh, the health of of a, of a website and a business. And and so many of our uh, so many of the companies today are publicly traded. So many of these online digital companies are publicly traded, from the trip advisors of the world to the to the Amazons, having that search data as one of the KPIs to understand the health of that company as, as a quarter end comes is really important. So that's one place where we're starting to see this materialize and become an important um, a por- important set of metrics to, to make non-search decisions. Um, another one that, that we, we see quite a bit is in uh, powering a lot. And because, it's become, because machine learning has become so pervasive in, in various um, technology uh, teams within companies, what we're starting to see is using this data to train 
many of the uh, machines and, and, and algorithms that departments and teams are using, whether it's an internal search or it's a, um, um, a, a refinement for uh, your customer support team. So what are the most common questions that are being asked in Google? And then how do we answer those in our support forum? That to me is one of the most fascinating things that I've learned having been around the search metrics company for a while is that you have an understanding of what are the questions people are most likely to ask around a specific topic. So, you know, if I'm running, let's use your example of a dry cleaner and I want to know what my customers care about, you know, you can use search data to get the what's the price, what's the turnaround time, how often does somebody's clothes get ruined, whatever the questions would be to understand the variables that your customers use. So as a marketer, understanding the customer mindset and where their biggest concerns are helps you, you know, obviously with your marketing, if you're doing organic marketing, but also a lot of your customer development, you could use the data to understand more about the personality traits of your customers. It's fascinating to me. It's really remarkable. I, I think, I mean, I never would have predicted that this is where we would be when I started in the search space. I mean, literally my, my goal in life when I started was how do I trick Google? And I mean, <laughs> how do I sell some Spanish books? Yeah, how do I sell some Spanish books was the ultimate goal. But like, how am I, what, what channel can I do that? That I have no money, right? I'm, I'm in college, I have zero dollars. So, so that, that became a, a, a necessity. But today it's, Really remarkable to see how you can use this information to solve a lot of other business problems. Uh, I think that's a, a great point, and uh, you've obviously come a long way since uh, the My Libros days. And I think that's a good place for us to recap and then wrap up. So, just to summarize some of the things that we talked about, the purpose of this podcast is to leverage a new medium of content to help educate, inform aspiring and experienced SEOs so you can understand how to use data and understand what's changing in the search landscape. We also talked about some of the big trends in search. Obviously, you know, mobile is a huge priority for Google. We kind of see voice as the the future and so that's some of the hot topics that we're going to get more into in the future. And also there's this notion that people are starting to use search data beyond just SEO optimization, but trying to understand the overall health and performance of a company. They're trying to understand a little bit about the customer mindset and get some really rich insights into how people are thinking about a subject using search data. And so those are a couple of the topics that, that we're going to cover in more detail down the road. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the Voices of Search podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Jordan Cooney, the CEO of Search Metrics Inc. We'd love to continue the conversation with you, so if you're interested in contacting Jordan, you can find links to his bio in our show notes, or you can shoot him an SEO-related tweet to JT Cooney, that's J-T-K-O-E-N-E, on Twitter. And a special thanks to Previsible for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for support with all of your SEO needs, Previsible's integrated consulting model is there for you. They draw on a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to help you unlock your organic search and growth opportunities. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, and Square, all who rely on SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. And a special thanks to Ahrefs for sponsoring this podcast. Monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools. But that's not the case anymore, thanks to Ahrefs, because they just launched their Ahrefs Webmaster Tools product, which monitors your SEO health, helps you keep track of your backlinks, 
and gives you the insight into what keywords are performing for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's Ahrefs, A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. If you have any general marketing questions or if you want to talk about podcasting, you can find my contact information in our show notes or you can send me a tweet at Ben J. Shap. That's B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. If you like this podcast and you want a regular stream of SEO and content marketing insights in your feed, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. Lastly, if you've enjoyed this show and you're feeling generous, we would be honored for you to leave a review in the Apple iTunes store. It's a great way for us to share our learnings about SEO and content marketing. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, remember, the answers you're looking for are always in the data.